What's up, everybody, and welcome in on back to Blitz on the Balcony, brought to you by Brews on the Balcony. I am your host, Zach Zook, and today's show, man, this is kind of the first true off-season show, I feel like, because we recapped Super Bowl 54, and we were still really talking about the 2019 season, and this is going to be the first show, first of many, where we'll kind of be projecting towards 2020 and what next fall is going to look like. I want to talk about Tom Brady and where he may be headed or or where he may be staying put because I think the Tom Brady story is the biggest story of the offseason. Then we'll talk about Phil Rivers. Uh, it's been reported that he and the Chargers will be parting ways, so that puts, puts the Chargers in the QB market, and it puts Phil Rivers in need of another team because as of right now, he is not retiring. Then I want to recap week one of the XFL. I thought about maybe doing something in word form, and I might do that, but it would require a lot of research. Uh, so I figured I would just uh, recap week one of the XFL in real time here. Uh, while it's newsworthy, we can talk about the Battle Hawks, get the local angle. I watched all of that game. Give you some of my thoughts on the rule changes, what I thought worked, what I what I thought didn't. Uh, but first, before we do all of that, Blitz on the Balcony is brought to you by STL Distillery. STL Distillery on Freedens Road in St. Charles. Go on and pick up a bottle of their brew vodka. That's B-R-U vodka. Go in and mention TJ, Nick, myself, Big Web, or Brews on the Balcony, and you will receive a free tour and tasting. You can also pick up a bottle of their Cardinal Sin Vodka or try one of the many Starkas they have there. STL Distillery is makes a fantastic gift, makes a fantastic uh, weekend companion. Uh, so uh, go on and uh, head out to STL Distillery out in St. Charles. Get yourself a bottle of vodka. We're also brought to you by Manscaped who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I remember as a college freshman or sophomore, uh, going down there, I took one of my old electric razors that I didn't really use anymore, was, was clearing some brush, and, you know, nicked it a little bit. So uh, that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents like college freshman Zach had. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. When I tell you this is premium, we mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BOTB at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code BOTB. Again, that's manscaped.com with a D on the end, manscaped.com. Okay, so we're not going to bury the lead, not on Blitz on the Balcony. We're going to talk about what is undoubtedly going to be the biggest story of the 2020 offseason, and that's Tom Brady, the GOAT, the best quarterback of all time, unquestionably, at the 
league's most important position is going to test free agency for the first time in his career, and I got some thoughts on it. This is the first true off-season podcast where we're going to be projecting the future instead of looking back at 2019, and and I figured what better way to start it than talking about where the GOAT's going to be playing next fall. So Tom Brady, it was reported by Ian Rappaport earlier today that Robert Kraft, as as kind of the spokesperson on this, also obviously the owner of the team, has said that they're going to allow Tom to to test free agency. So that way, if he comes back to the Patriots, it will be uh, something that they feel like is meant to be. They don't want to force Tom into doing it. They're not going to put the franchise tag on him, which would feel a little petty to do to a guy that's 40-plus years old and given so much to the franchise. So they want it to be, if he comes back, it'll it'll be the best option for Tom and it'll be the best option for Bill. And I think that there's a couple of different ways to think about it. And first, I think I have to think about the career earnings of Tom Brady. When you think about his motivation, what will be his motivation in free agency? I take a look, and Tom Brady has over $200 million in career earnings, the most of any active player in the NFL, I believe. And then I go ahead and I Google Giselle's net worth, his wife. Giselle has a net worth of $360 million. She's nearly doubled Tom Brady's career earnings. Now, of course, that doesn't track the Uggs ads, but uh, when you talk about just money made by checks cut by the NFL, between he and Giselle's net worth, they're well over $500 million made between the two of them in that family. So... I am a little bit disinclined to believe that the motivation for Tom Brady in free agency is going to be money. Now, the argument that would be thrown back in my face would be, it's not necessarily about the money, it's about the respect that the money commands. And that's what it is for a lot of these guys, because money isn't always the top the the top priority, but it becomes the top priority because athletes feel that you aren't respecting their ability or what they can do if they take a penny less than what they can negotiate because it's a it's a status thing, it's a class thing, and so people would use that argument for Tom Brady, but I don't think a player that has taken less throughout his entire career would all of a sudden change his philosophy now in his mid forties uh, about you know, the, the, his status or how much he makes. It never bothered him before. Why would it bother him now? And when you think about Tom Brady's legacy, he could absolutely crap the bed this next season. It doesn't matter what he does, shot, short of getting arrested, off the field stuff. He is going to go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. The old heads and the newbies alike all say Tom Brady is the best quarterback that's ever played the sport. The sixth rounder at the University of Michigan is the best ever. And so his status, his class, his place in Canton is already pretty much determined. There really is nothing to gain in terms of the narrative by wanting to be paid more money. So then you, I think, have to look at it from Brady's standpoint as what's the best fit for me? Well... In New England, he has Bill Belichick, widely regarded as one of the greatest coaches of all time. Maybe the greatest. Personally, I think probably the greatest. I mean, there's some arguments to be made for some other guys, sure. 
But I think you're combining the best quarterback we've ever seen with the best coach we've ever seen. That's why we've gotten the results. So he looks around at his options. I have an elite coach that I know. I've been around. My family lives here. I've been here. I've lived this life for two decades plus. I have an offensive coordinator who I know his personality like the back of my hand in Josh McDaniels. I have a system that I've played in for the last two decades. And then you look at some of these other situations because I promise you the Patriots won't be the highest monetary offer he gets. No way. The Las Vegas Raiders are going to offer him uh, whatever he wants. They will, <laughs> they'll offer him ownership stock if they can. Like They will give him whatever it takes to get him in the black and silver in Las Vegas next fall. That's what's been reported. Does that make sense? Is that a fit for them? I don't think so at all. But they want to sell tickets. The Gruden and Mayock are a bunch of crazies. They clearly don't like Derek Carr. That's been reported on. We won't talk about that this week, but we'll get there. Uh, so there will be other teams that covet his services. I think will offer more in terms of financial. But when he looks around the league at the different situations, the only one I think really comes close is the Tennessee Titans. Because he has the Patriots connection to Mike Vrabel, who is a Belichick guy and who is a very good coach. That team has a good defense. It's top 10. They have an outstanding run game where he'll have support. He's not going to have to do it all himself. He has the great run game, and he has weapons outside in the passing game. A.J. Brown, Corey Davis. They have the tight end Delaney Walker. Maybe Delaney Walker will be back, but they got some other guys there. John and Smith. Uh, then you look at some other the other options that have been floated out there. The Colts, the Chargers. Of course, we mentioned the Raiders. The Raiders are not ready to win. They're much closer to the bottom than they are the top. The Colts feel, I think they feel as a franchise as though they're a player away, a quarterback away, but they still have uh, some question marks and a young roster that had to be completely rebuilt by Chris Ballard a couple of seasons ago. So, and Andy, when you factor in the history between the Colts and the Patriots, I don't know if Tom would do that. The, the other option then it leaves the Chargers. Well, the Chargers would give him an opportunity to move back to his home state of California. They're moving to Los Angeles to play in that new temple that the Rams and the Chargers are going to share. But, although their roster is pretty good, they have the question about whether or not they're going to re-sign Melvin Gordon. They have young studs on the defensive side. They have some weapons, but they have Anthony Lynn. They just extended Anthony Lynn who I don't think is a bad coach, but I don't think he necessarily moves the needle either. And so I feel like the Chargers aren't really a, a Super Bowl contender. Because if you're going to leave the Patriots, you, you're going to, especially at this age, you're going to leave to a team that you think you can win a Super Bowl with. And ultimately, I think the Titans, maybe, maybe the Colts, maybe. But I still think there's some holes on the Colts roster too that they, their roster isn't isn't on par with with the Ravens or the 49ers or some of these other teams that we've seen that, that are just truly elite like the Saints uh, and they don't have the the prowess of a Bill Belichick or a staff like that that can that can be in it every single year right so I think the Titans are really the only team that kind of feels ready. Uh, and then maybe the Colts. But I think that what's going to happen is we're going to find that Tom Brady's going to get into free agency, and I ultimately think he comes back. That's that's the, the take I've been getting to. 
and, and percolating in this segment is I think that when all is said and done, he's going to test those waters. He's going to look at his options. I think at the end of the day, he's going to want to come back to the Patriots to re-up for one more year to try and win a title and ride off into the sunset. Now, the interesting part of what Ian Rappaport reported is that Bill has to feel as though Tom's his best option. And And this is my opinion on it. I think that Bill did not want to get rid of Jimmy G. I think he wanted to get rid of Tom when they made the Jimmy G trade. I think that Robert Kraft essentially forced Tom, forced uh, Belichick's hand in keeping Tom and trading Garoppolo because they couldn't keep both with the way the contracts were. Jimmy G had, I think, sat for, what, two and a half years at the point that they traded him, so they had to get rid of him because his contract was going to run out and they weren't going to be able to keep him there. So they had to get something for him, so they dealt him to San Francisco. I think that Belichick wanted to move off of Brady and onto Garoppolo, and that was essentially vetoed by Kraft and the powers that be in New England. So the interesting part of Rappaport's kind of theory on this and what he's reporting is the situation behind this Tom Brady impending free agency at at the start of the league year is that... uh, Belichick has to be on board with it too, and I think that's interesting because I think that there's a possibility, a greater likelihood that Belichick wants to move off of Brady than Brady wanting to move off of New England. However, I still think that when it, when you look at Bill Belichick, could they get a, a guy like Andy Dalton? Sure, maybe. Could you test those waters? Sure, if Derek Carr became available, maybe Bill would like him and want to pull a deal for him. But do you, do you think Bill would want to take on Philip Rivers? No, he's not just going to kick the can down the road a couple, another couple years. And Tom at 43 is better than Rivers was last season, so that makes absolutely no sense. Or do you want to get one of these guys that's maybe going to lose his job, like Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota? I, I, I don't think that Bill would want to do that over Tom. Now, does he really like Jared Stidham, who was the backup to Tom Brady this past season out of Auburn, who had first-round hype going into his senior season before he kind of underwhelmed? Maybe, but you can always, again, you, you can kick that can down the road to next year and where, where you re-up for Tom to win one more ring, and then you both kind of mutually part ways and ride into the sunset, and Bill does the next season with a new QB under center because I don't think the options for Bill at QB are really that great. He has a terrible draft pick again because of how good the Patriots are uh, year in and year out. He's in the playoffs every single season, so he's never going to be drafting high enough to get get a difference maker at quarterback. Maybe he trades up to get somebody if they slip and he likes them, but Other than that, he's going to have to either take a guy late in the mid-rounds, acquire one in free agency, or trade for a quarterback. And I don't think Bill's in a great position to do that this season. Now, if they they re-up the contract for one year... Bill can Bill then start has you know 12 months to kind of plan the exit strategy of Brady and what that looks like. So my take on it, I think Brady's back. But hit us up with the Blitz on the Balcony Twitter, call in the Brews uh, voicemail line. Let us know what you think. Okay, so I have some thoughts about this whole Phil Rivers thing and. Beyond Tom Brady, I think he's probably the second biggest quarterback name that's going to be out on the market. You could potentially have 
you know, guys like Derek Carr, Cam Newton could be on the move, but I think in terms of what they've accomplished over the course of their career, uh, Phil would be right there uh, in second place behind Brady. So uh, they, it was reported, if, you, if you're not catching up on this news, it was reported that the Chargers and uh, Rivers have mutually agreed to go their separate ways for the 2020 season. And what what that is code for is the Chargers are moving on. They They don't want him back for 2020. They have the sixth overall pick in the NFL draft. It will presumably be a quarterback uh, if they don't trade up to get somebody. Uh, so I, I, they can say whatever they want, and that's kind of what you do when you have respect for somebody is you're not going to just, you know, <laughs> cut the guy. I mean, it's out of respect, but it, this was clearly a decision made by the Chargers, not Phil. So... The, then you kind of move on to where does Phil go next? And there are a couple of spots. There are some, some spots that I've heard floated out there. And then there's one that I kind of think makes the most sense. Now, I've heard m- multiple scouts, the guys I listen to in the NFL community that are tied into these teams, uh, they've said the, the Colts and the Panthers And I'll go over each of those before I give you the team I think makes the most sense for him. First, we'll talk about the Colts. Uh, The Colts has been floated because of the scheme and because of the offense. It would be a very familiar and easy transition for Phil Rivers. I also think Chris Ballard would be more than willing to listen uh, or be interested in Phil uh, and make make a play to bring him in for a year or two kind of bridge them to whoever they're going to draft next because he's clearly, Phil is, much better than Jacoby Brissett and would certainly uplift that team. This is a team in a franchise that feels as though they're a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. With the Andrew Luck retirement this season, that kind of screwed them, but they felt like they were well on their way before he retired with the season they had in 2018. So I think that the Colts will be interested in him. The problem with if you bring Phil in as as the Colts organization, they don't really have any weapons. And uh, they don't really... I mean, they have Naheem Hines that can catch the ball out of the backfield, but uh, uh, underneath and out on the edge, they don't really have stars. So that's something that Phil has always had, Uh, at least recently with his time with the Chargers, he had Antonio Gates all those years. Now he has Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Mike Williams. He had Tyrell Williams for a few years. And out of the backfield, he has Melvin Ingram, Melvin Gordon, sorry, and uh, Austin Eckler, who both catch the ball well. And he uses the running backs in the passing game. So Marlon Mack, obviously, is their early down guy. Naheem Hines, more of the third down back. But I don't think that that style really works with with Phil because you are either going to need Marlon Mack to catch the ball and become involved in the receiving game, or you're going to be tipping your hand. Uh, In addition to that, I don't know how much under-the-center stuff the Chargers really ran, at least in recent years under Anthony Lynn. Feels like, especially in their pass sets, it's all shotgun. So, uh, and I know the Colts like to run under center with the run game. So they have they have T.Y. Hilton out there on the edge. 
They have Zach Paschal. They drafted the kid from Ohio State, Paris Campbell. But they don't really have anybody established out there. Uh, Devin Funches was on a one-year prove-it deal, ended up on the IR, never even played for the Colts. If they bring him back, he's a nice two. But uh, they don't. They need to have the. They need to sign a couple of guys. Like if Sammy Watkins becomes available, that's a guy that I think that you would have to also be interested in. So I just don't think. From, from the guys you'd have to add for Phil to be successful at this stage in his career, I don't think it's a perfect marriage like some do. The other one I've heard floated out there is the Carolina Panthers. It is where Phil Rivers played college ball. He went to NC State before he was a pro. And so to return to that state where he already has kind of built-in popularity makes a lot of sense. You factor in, too, he has Christian McCaffrey to check it down to in the pass game because Phillip Rivers as a passer, I mean, he's never really been a strong-arm guy, but he is a quick-release rhythm passer that checks the ball down a lot. And so I think that having those guys underneath, having a good tight end, having a good back, more importantly, to pass the ball to is going to be important for whoever signs Phil. So... The Carolina Panthers, I think, are very interesting in in the sense that they have McCaffrey to offer. They have a little bit of familiarity because uh, Phil's lived in the area throughout his college days. They have a really good up-and-coming wide receiver in DJ Moore, and Curtis Samuel is kind of their complementary piece. So I think Carolina makes some sense, but I also think that moving off of Cam isn't really guaranteed. I think that the, the Colts are much more likely to find another QB to start in 2020. Like, I'd be more surprised if Brissett was still under center for the Colts next year than I will be if Cam is under center for the Panthers. Would I move off of Cam? I would. But because of his popularity with the fan base, he was the number one overall pick. He's won them an MVP. This is a fan base that hasn't won a lot. He took them to an NFC crown, a 15-1 season where they fell in the Super Bowl to the Denver Broncos. He means a lot to that franchise and that fan base. So when the new owner comes in and tries to just fire sale, get rid of everybody, I think it might be kind of a tough sell for David Tepper to get rid of Cam. And I saw a press little Q&A he did in the locker room today where he said it was all about Cam's health. Uh, so I don't know if that's I think fit-wise, if they decide to move off of Cam, that would be a logical answer for the next couple of seasons until you get the next guy in there. But again, I don't think that's a perfect marriage. Now, here's where I think that he'll go. And uh, I think it's going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, it's not 100% if the Bucs are going to move off of Jameis Winston. But the guy threw 30 picks Arians is less than enthused about him. It's not like he threw 30 picks in his rookie year either. He, that's his fifth year in the league. And he's been a bad decision maker on and off the field now throughout the entire you know stretch of him being a pro and in college. So I think that Tampa should, should let him go. I, I understand that he's more dynamic. He also hits more big plays. But I, I don't think Arians really wants him that much. I think the Bucks got to be kind of sick of him at this point. He's not that good. He's not. I don't think that he, he's so intriguing because he does throw a lot of touchdown passes too. But I don't think that the value of the touchdown passes he throws outweighs just the idiocy 
that he displays in the pocket. The, football really comes down to two things. And I say it all the time. It's turnovers and third downs. And when you're turning the ball over 30 times, you're going to lose games. That's the difference between 12-4 and four and 7-9. and nine. And so I, I think that the Bucks are more likely to move off of Winston. And so I think that Phil Rivers makes a lot of sense. Bruce Arians has a history of working with great quarterbacks. You talk about his career and, and, and who he's worked with. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Carson Palmer. He has had success with all of them, all different players, all different styles. And a lot of them have been established at the time he's he's worked with them as well. So I think that Phil Rivers makes a lot of sense. You also think about what he had in San Diego. Well, now L.A. Keenan Allen and then a second wide receiver, either Mike Williams or or Tyrell Williams, and then he has backs. Well, Tampa Bay doesn't really have backs, but they're but they can catch the ball. Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones can catch. They just don't have an effective ground game really. But out on the edge, they have two bona fide top fifteen wide receivers in the league in Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. He would have two outstanding weapons to throw it to. So I think that the conversation that will have to be had with whoever is acquiring Phil Rivers' services is Phil's Phil's mind is cashing is writing checks that his body cannot cash. So he is is thinking one thing. He wants to he sees a window, wants to throw it, and his body now at 38, 39 years old isn't letting him do that. And that's why he had such a such a, such a terrible year for the Chargers in 2019. And that's why they ultimately moved off of him. Now a lot of times, and this is just the reality of the sport in the business, is when it happens like that, like it could just be over. That's how it ends for most guys. Most guys aren't like Tom Brady and Drew Brees. They're kind of breaking the mold. And because of that, I think it, it emboldens the other quarterbacks that approach that age, especially in this time gap. Well, if Tom Brady and my contemporaries can do it. I can do it too. And, and Phil is a competitive guy and a guy that loves the game. So I, I don't think he, sh- he necessarily even should retire because it's not like he was Trubisky bad or Jameis bad last year. He, he just wasn't very good and kind of held the Chargers back a little bit. But I think that he could, he could rebound. and ha- I, think, I think he could have one or two more good seasons left in him. I think he could make one more run because I think getting let go of the team that has drafted him after, you know, close to 20 years, over a decade, right? Uh, it it kind of wakes you up a little bit. I think it'll reinvigorate him wherever he goes, and I think he'll have success. But the but the conversation that'll have to be had, if it, if it is Bruce Arians and the Bucks that, that acquire him, is, hey, man, we got to make good decisions with the ball. We have to be, you need to look in the mirror and be realistic about what your limitations are at this point. Because you can't just, Phil had a lot of these throws last year. I called them fuck it throws. Fuck it, and just threw it up. And he can't do that next year. Wherever he goes, he cannot do that. And there has to be an honest conversation between the OC, the head coach, and him. Like, hey, we're going to have a game plan. You need to play within the structure of it, and and we'll be fine. So I think he can he can rebound and gain some efficiency. And I think ultimately the Bucks are where he'll have the best chance to do that. 
Final segment of the day is going to revolve around the XFL. We will cover this league a little bit, and I got some thoughts. I watched uh, the entire Battlehawks game, so I got some thoughts. We'll cover it from the Battlehawks angle, then I'll cover it from the league in general. What I think works, what I think doesn't, what I think they'll have to change, kind of what I think I would do if I were in their position, uh, if I had the ability to do this. Um, you, you know, I, I thought that there was a lot of good. The, the first important thing is that it was accessible on big networks. It was on ESPN. It was on, I think it was on Fox. Uh, they had big time networks broadcasting the games and they had big time people calling the games. They had Greg Olson broadcast one of them. Kevin Burkhart was, was on the call for one of the games. They had Pat McAfee on the, uh, the Battlehawks game. So they have stars calling the game and they have star networks broadcasting the game. So the one area where I think that they've fallen short is they don't have stars on the field. And I, I, the number one thing I think I do if I was starting up a rival league is I have to steal some of the NFL's players or I have to get players with star value. Uh, I look at the most successful uh, opposition to the NFL ever was the USFL back in the 80s. And what were they able to do? They were able to take the Heisman winner in each of the, the three seasons that they were active. They signed with the USFL over the NFL. Now, to do that, you need a lot of money and a lot of financial backing, but the XFL has that. With this TV deal, with Vince McMahon, who has made a killing off the WWE, and is clearly a very good American businessman. But I think that you you have to either start poaching players, or you need to take guys that aren't in the league anymore, but have a recognizable brand. Because Herschel Walker with the New Jersey Generals was a recognizable brand. I forget what the Tampa team was called, but I think Jim Kelly was down there. That was very recognizable. You had stars playing on these teams. And outside of Cardale Jones for the D.C. Defenders, 12-gauge, Ohio State National Championship team, the XFL doesn't really have that. Marquette King, the punter for the Battlehawks, I feel like is one of the most recognizable players in the league. So your punter cannot be your biggest star. Uh, The P.J. Walker guy was electric. He was awesome to watch. You you can have a guy that doesn't have much brand value if he's as fun as P.J. Walker is. But you cannot trot out these pocket passers, or in the Battlehawks case, run power and win and like get viewers that way. Like I, I'm sorry, I, I was I was texting with one of my buddies over the weekend who was also watching the game. Like running power and playing conservatively and running the football, like that is not going to get people to watch the game. And so they they need to figure out a way to juice it up from that standpoint. Like I watch the Titans run the ball 30 times a game. I don't really give a shit to watch the XFL Battlehawks do it. Like, like that is, that makes that doesn't make for interesting TV. And I understand from a football and a winning perspective, the coach Jonathan Hayes, ex Bengals guy, their only objective is to win. And I get that and I respect it. But the fact of the matter is, the league needs ratings. The league needs popularity. It's not really about winning and losing right now. It, it really isn't. It is about putting a good product on the field and having exciting games and exciting players. 
Uh, so, so the so the star value is number one for me. A guy that I think that would that would benefit greatly from a league like this is somebody like Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts could go on to have a fantastic NFL career. Maybe he will, but likely he'll be drafted in the middle rounds. And he won't really ever get a legitimate chance at starting on an NFL roster or being a franchise player. A lot of the times that they just don't get a shot. Dak Prescott is really kind of an outlier when it comes to the mid-round quarterback that gets a chance to be the guy and succeeds and becomes the franchise. But in reality, that doesn't work out for most of these guys. So I think guys like that that maybe don't project to the NFL but were fun to watch in college... Like uh, the Browning kid that was really good at Washington for a while. Had them in the playoff contention. He would be a guy that I think would would be good for the league. Uh, Kellen Mond, the kid from Texas A&M, would be good for the league. Some of these ex-stars, like Johnny Manziel, who played in the CFL. If Johnny Manziel is starting for the New York Guardians, guess who's watching the New York Guardians? Me. In the rest of America. Because that's must-see TV. And this guy's a complete slap dick, but if you signed Antonio Brown, guess who's watching the games? Everybody. And I know that they did a, they did 33 million with the TV ratings, which is better than any NBA regular season game. They outperformed the NBA. <laughs> they did better than the NBA on Christmas Day does, which would be the same as the NFL Thanksgiving Day game. They have 33 million people watch. Now, will it be that high in the second week? No, it's the start of something new, and it's football, and nothing else is on. So they benefited from that. The, the Big Cat said this for Barstool, too. The, the test will come in March. Like, when March Madness hits, are you still going to get people to watch the games? Are you at least going to get people to, to remain interested in the sport when other shit comes on? Because that's what you're going to have to do. And I think Antonio Brown does that. Guys like Johnny Manziel does that. Cardell Jones does that. And maybe this P.J. Walker kid does that. But I'm thinking of, of college quarterbacks that haven't translated. If this league came around 10 years ago, Pat White, the guy from West Virginia, would have been awesome for this league. Guys that run around, guys that are exciting, guys that can make you miss, but maybe don't have an NFL skill set. That's what you need to put on the field. And so that combined with star power, I think, will help you build the brands. Uh, the other thing that I took away from this was I thought the uniforms were bad for the most part. I think that you need to have a classic and timeless look. When you look at the colleges and when you look at these NFL franchises, they don't overcomplicate or over-detail the uniforms. Like, Oregon has all the crazy uniforms, but that's kind of the brand in and of itself, right? And even though they have these crazy uniforms, they look freaking sweet, eh? I, I would not be complaining if the uniforms looked sweet. And the color schemes and some of the team names, I can really get behind. Like the, like the Vipers, like those colors, I actually really like those. But I think like they've gotten too involved in the AF did this too. The AFs were uglier. So the XFL did a better job on that. But I think there's too much accent colors. Like, just give me the jersey. Give me, I, I don't know, some stripes or something. And, and give me the numbers in a couple separate colors. Like, you look at the, the college jerseys that are popular. Alabama, Penn State, Michigan. Like, the big college brands are pretty classic, pretty timeless. Like, the Browns. 
are, are pretty simple. Even the Patriots, who kind of have a more modern NFL uniform, have a look that is very clean. It's very timeless. There's not too much going on. So I know we're getting into the weeds a little bit here on, I guess, the look. But the look, the presentation matters so much in addition to the product on the field. It can't look like it's, you know, single-A baseball. Like, I have to look at this and be able to take it seriously. And based on what you're wearing, it's the same thing in life. You're not going to be taken seriously if you look like a piece of shit, right? People that look better typically rate better with the public because you are judged on how you look. It's the same way with the consumer watching these football games. You have to have the uniforms look professional. They have to look timeless. They have to look legit. And so that's one thing that I think that I would change. Some of the rule changes were fantastic. The kickoffs were excellent. I think the NFL should adopt that immediately. It keeps the play in the game. It keeps players safe because it eliminates the 40-yard runs that guys get at each other. And and it still makes the game it makes the play exciting. It keeps it relevant. You don't have to take the game take take the play out of football. And we saw a couple big returns over the course of the weekend. Another thing that I thought was interesting was the you could go for three. And I am I hate kickers. Would not mind if they weren't a part of the game. But uh, one of my buddies, and I tell him this all the time, he's like, you couldn't play football without kickers. You need field goal kickers. And he's right about that. But I love the fact that they took kickers out of the game post-touchdown. You can go for one, two, or three. I love that. Absolutely love it. I think the NFL should adopt that. No question. Let the players, the real football players, decide the outcomes of these games. And then then the kicker becomes exclusively a field goals guy. I I don't want to see any more teams win or lose a game on a missed extra point. I do not give a shit about that. And neither does the rest of of middle America. We want to see the guys that are making millions of dollars decide the outcome of the game. So I loved the the fact that you could that you could did not kick the PAT. You went for one, two, or three. And the fact that you could go for three from the 10-yard line was interesting because now if it's a nine-point game, one possession. It's still one possession. Eight it makes it changes it from eight points in the NFL. The max you get on a possession is eight to nine. So it'll keep it'll keep games more competitive longer. It will eliminate blowouts. It will create excitement. It will make games come more down to the wire. Uh, and and so I, I'm all for some of these rule changes. I think that they have absolutely hit the nail on the head with some of this. Now, the access in the broadcast is something I'm a little iffy on. I don't hate the access into the coordinators and stuff like that. The on-field player interviews are fun or whatever, and getting being able to see the rule analysts talk while they're overturning a call or reviewing a call is fun. It's a novelty thing, though. I think that it wears off, and especially when you're talking to these coordinators and putting their play calls on live TV, it feels kind of feels like you're asking for a, a cheating scandal. I mean, we just saw what the Astros did in Major League Baseball. I feel like if you're putting the opposing, you're putting these guys' offensive and defensive signals on live TV, there's going to be a way that they can relay that or pick up on it or study it then. 
and, and somehow use that to a competitive advantage. So I think that that's dangerous. Nobody really, I think, cares to do that at this point. But if the league grows and gets serious enough, when it's millions of dollars, it's championships on the line, people are going to try and find a way to cheat. It's a tale as old as time. They're going to try and do it. It's a hap- They've been cheating scandals in every sport, uh, transcending time and space, right? So I think that they'll run into issues with that. As far as the on-field interviews go, like I don't really need to see an interview with like 58, the dumbass that ruined that excellent punt that checked up at the one by King in the Battlehawks game. Like I don't need to see Pat McAfee ask him why he missed it. You know, like I guess it's kind of fun, but I, I don't know. I wasn't into that really. So I don't mind. I think the one thing that they did access wise for the broadcast that was cool was the uh, inside look when they're reviewing plays. I don't really see a downside to that. I think it forces the league to be more accountable. I think the NFL could really learn and benefit from that because you're giving people an inside look at the process too. So they'd be less likely to crush you, I think, if they knew that your process was diligent and consistent. So that's one thing I would keep. I think I'd maybe nix the sideline interviews mid-game right after a play. Uh, and I think maybe I'd, I'd nix the uh, the opposing offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator's play calls. I don't think that makes for really interesting TV at the end of the day, too. Like, that stuff's great for mic'd up. It's great for these extra hits that you want to do. And it's novel on the broadcast now because we've never seen it before. But I think a month down the line, I, like, I was already fatigued of it by the end of the weekend. I, like, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear the broadcasters call the game. And, and that's something that I think they'll have to work the kinks out of. Just week one, but obviously you have to put a professional broadcast and figure some of that stuff out because it, when, when you don't, it just it, it illegitimizes the whole thing. We talk about this with the podcast brand a lot. We, we, are, we can't illegitimize the brand. And when you, when you mess things up or things look unprofessional or sound unprofessional – that kind of illegitimizes our our product, right? So the XFL needs to do that same thing. Overall, though, I, I, I know they have big-time financial backing. I think that the league has enough funding to at least go two years. But uh, the one, the two main things I think that they're going to have to do, and they're young, like, it's, it's hard to do. It'll take time. But I think that they need to get, like, some, some NFL rogues to come play for their league. Uh, I think that that would be huge for them. It would draw more eyeballs because as the the novelty of a new football league wears off, I think that that would help keep the eyeballs glued to it. But let me know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on, on the voicemail line. Uh, slide into my DMs. Ask me a question. I'll read it on the podcast. Slide me uh, your opinions on it. I'd love to get the listeners more involved with this. So uh, hit me up. Thank you guys so much for making this podcast a part of your day and a part of your week. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you next time.